For over a decade, I shopped and worked at my local comic shop. One of the best parts about hanging out there was comparing notes on what I was reading with folks who shared my passion for comics. My comic shop is gone now, but we can still hold on to the magic of that in-store discussion. This is My Comic Shop Book Club. Welcome to My Comic Shop Book Club. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss the 1994 DC Comics event Zero Hour is Mr. Nick Jones. Welcome, sir. Hello, sir. How are you today? I'm great. I'm happy to have you on the show. And this is this is actually a special episode in a sense because this is the finale of this iteration of my book club podcast. So including this episode, we've done 12 episodes, 12 installments between uh, January and June. Uh, I've loved them all in their own way. It's been fun jumping around, covering a bunch of different <laughs> comic book stories. But I've decided to take the show in a new direction. So at the beginning of 2022, uh, I'm going to be relaunching the show. So we're going to have a new title, artwork, music, uh, slightly different focus and release schedule. Uh, so it's going to be a little bit different. But if, for anyone, if you've been enjoying this, I think you're really going to like the new version. I'm very excited. Uh, and again, I, I truly have enjoyed this run of episodes. Uh, and I'm so grateful to all of my guests, including you, sir, uh, and to all of the listeners who have been along for the ride uh, for these 12 episodes of My Comic Shop Book Club. Uh, so the most important thing is uh, for all of you listening or watching, make sure you keep your subscription active. So if you listen to the audio version and you're subscribed via your podcast platform of choice, keep that subscription active. Uh, and or if you are subscribed to my YouTube channel and you watch the video version, please stay subscribed there as well. Uh, and that way you won't miss the new version of the Book Club, pod, book club podcast uh, when it drops in 2022. And of course, in the meantime, make sure that you keep tuning in to Digging for Kryptonite, which continues with biweekly installments. All right. The other reason why I'm, I'm excited to have you here, Nick, is that uh, we mentioned you on, on an earlier episode of this podcast. I'm sure you recall. Yep. Milksop. <laughs> you were not the milksop, though, thankfully. I am not the milk. Well, am I, though? Am I? I did buy the Omni, so does that make me a milksop? <laughs> so the episode we're referring to, <laughs> I felt so bad, man. So, no, it's fine. So, you know, for the most part, like out of these 12 episodes, most of the stuff that I covered, I had already read before or at least read some of and knew that it was good and knew that it was worth reading. But there were a couple of things that I was reading for the first time for this podcast, <laughs> including the Red Hulk run by Jeff Loeb and Ed McGinnis. And you, bless your heart, uh, you've, you've, you've been following along and you've been picking up trades or hardcovers of things that we're covering on the show that you, you didn't already own. And yeah, you bought that Red Hulk omnibus. And as we discussed in that episode, I had my buddy Jeff on, not the strongest material, and I, the first thing I thought of as I was making my way through that run, I was like, oh, I feel so bad that Nick bought that Nick bought that omnibus. Now, to be fair, in my defense, I could have I have Marvel Unlimited. I could have just read it on there. But I'm like, you know what? I like owning physical media because I don't know. I'm dumb, I guess, because I already pay for the year for Marvel Unlimited. So it's like that's what, like 60 bucks, 80 bucks, however much that is. And the Omni was what $100 for one story that's, as you were saying, is mostly subpar, but. I mean, it had its highlights, but the like the low lights were way too low. You know what I mean? Like it didn't really offset it. And the way they jumped around between like, oh, OK, we're we're here. And then the Red Hulk is at this part in the story. And then the next issue in the in the Omni, like, but what happened between how did we get from here to there? I don't know. It just wasn't very um, cohesive. Yes, that is a very diplomatic way of putting it. 
Uh, <laughs> but I'm glad that we could have you on here before we wrap this version of the podcast. Now, well, I guess we'll get into our feelings on Zero Hour, but uh, <laughs> part of me feels like you got me back with this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you think so? I, so I went through, I was like, I was curious, I was like, okay, how do we end up here? And so I took a screenshot. You tweeted at me on February 16th. I took a screenshot. You said, at Desi Westside, it's me on Twitter. You said, I've got homework for you. <laughs> and you had a couple of photos of the zero hour omnibus. And that got me thinking. I was like, ah, oh, you know, that could be fun to, you know, to, to do on the podcast. I hadn't reread it. I hadn't gone back to it in many, many years. Yeah. <laughs> And it is now, 90s as hell. yeah, it's very '90s. But I'm curious. Uh, before we get into the story itself, uh, what what prompted you to buy the omnibus in the first place? Um, much like the uh, talking about like the death of Superman and stuff like that. Like that was kind of like the peak me being in the comic books thing and stuff. Like the '90s stuff with like the ze- all the zero issues. It's it's a heck of a gimmick. And then you know, with Marvel having everything being like you know, chrome covered, double wrap around, whatever different stuff they did so it was like very gimmicky and it was very much in my wheelhouse at the time and then when i just like uh, we were talking earlier it's like i just finished reading the last issue of the zero hour miniseries today and i was like wow yeah yeah the uh, see you just read the trade right so you just read the five issues well i did a a mix. So Ish. I have what I own. You know, I own the uh, the original trade that they put out in the 90s. I had that for many years and I got rid of it in one of my purges. And then more recently, I picked up, I think this was 2018, what I'm holding up here. Okay. Uh, the Zero Hour hardcover. Um, what's cool is that the hardcover includes uh, those two like 10 page stories from Showcase 94. Showcase 94, yep. I kind of set it up. So that's in there as well as a new introduction by Dan Jurgens, uh, which is interesting. Give some behind the scenes tidbits about uh, what what inspired the story and some of the behind the scenes of the making of Zero Hour. Uh, so that was kind of cool, but it doesn't include any of the of the tie-in issues. However, the DC app, which I, I am subscribed to, has pretty much everything. So last night, uh, I did jump around a little bit and I did read a, just a selection of the uh-huh. uh, of some of the tie-in issues. Yeah, of some of the tie-in issues and a couple of the Zero issues. So I did, because I knew... Now, well, let me ask you, how far did you get? Did you read? You didn't read everything, right? In the omnibus? Um, did I didn't you? read. I read everything up to zero hour number zero. So I think yeah. there's three issues at the end. It's Green Lantern Zero, Flash Zero, and Damage Zero, I think, are the last three issues in there, possibly. Okay. I didn't read those because I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. But Green Lantern Zero kind of, I think, takes place right after the end of zero hour number zero. So it's probably worth reading. I just didn't do it. But all the other stuff, yes, I did. Okay. Yeah. So for anyone not familiar, and if you're if you're any level of DC fan, look at that omnibus. For people who are watching the video edition, uh, Nick is holding up <laughs> that. And dust jacket, of course. But yeah, well, yes, of course. Uh, so you know, for anyone not familiar, right? Uh, Zero Hour was this 1994 event. Uh, primarily consisting of five issues uh, numbered in reverse. So it counted down from four to zero, uh, released weekly. And much like other DC uh, fifth week events of the 90s, like Final Night and Day of Judgment, Genesis, like all those stories, each DC title published in that month had a zero hour tie-in. And then the following month, uh, each DC title had a zero issue. 
yes. which uh, told or retold early moments from the the beginnings of the hero's career to sort of lay out what the new status quo is following the the changes from Zero Hour. And I mean, big picture. Well, I guess we could talk about uh, the. I guess the genesis of this story, uh, which Jurgens wrote about in his introduction. So it's crazy to think this was less than a decade after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yep. But uh, sort of behind the scenes, the impetus for this was, uh, you know, a desire to iron out some of the continuity issues that lingered following Crisis on Infinite Earths and, uh, I guess, new, new issues that had come up in that time. And what initially sparked this for Jurgens was... He was drawing an issue of Mike Grell's Green Arrow. He writes about this in the introduction. And Ollie was celebrating his 45th birthday. And that got Jurgens thinking, well, if Oliver Queen is 45, all of these other DC heroes who he's contemporaries with would also be about that <laughs> age. So how does this uh-huh. timeline work? Uh, and then I guess elsewhere in editorial, uh, they were thinking about that as well, uh, along the lines of, again, these continuity uh, issues that persisted following Crisis on Infinite Earths, which of course had consolidated the DC multiverse into a single universe with a single Earth and, and timeline, uh, and so then that was the you know that was sort of the the jumping off point. And so in Zero Hour we have time being destroyed uh, from the end of time backwards, <laughs> and uh, and I mean that's the that's the overall setup for it. Yep, yep, and it's like so. Out the the two issues from Showcase ninety four, those were like, you know what, those you should read just because it gives you who the what extent is that the guy's name? Yeah. The character is and whatever, blah, blah, blah. So it's like, oh, all right. So you kick it off and it's just like, oh, okay. But like the reason I was throwing in quotes about um the tie-ins or whatever is because it's like, oh, like this is an issue of whatever comic book, like anima number ten or eight or whatever it was. And I'm like, I don't know any of these characters. And like the tie-in is like, oh, there's just like one panel that they show it's like oh yep here's a zero hour thing so it's like basically people are just kicking off new series and it's like oh since um we're doing this throughout the all of dc clearly all of the like it has to have a tie-in so they just kind of like shoehorned them in like the superman ones the flash ones like any of like the major player ones those ones are actually decent as far as the crossovers go but like the random one-offs it's like i don't know who these characters are it's like oh part five of six of a story i'm like oh thanks i guess like i don't know why they're doing this big epic battle that's six part crossover and you're throwing it in the fifth issue so i don't know a lot of it they could have just been like yeah you know what (laughs) maybe these ones sit this one out i know i think that's always the issue when they do these sorts of crossovers when it's editorially mandated like that although you know it's it's i was really thinking about this and i want to get your take because i mean it different ways of looking at crossovers, I guess. In in some respects, I actually don't mind this fifth week version of crossovers that DC did in the 90s, where, again, we have the core weekly miniseries, and then it's like every book for that month has the banner yep. on the title. And again, some are more relevant and, and more significant tie-ins than others, but it's not like a book is tied up for months crossing over with another title like we oh, see yeah, in yeah, other crossovers. So I mean, I don't know. Like, do you, ultimately, what type of crossover do you find you prefer? Um, a, a a blend, I guess, would be the way to describe it. So, like, what you're saying is not every book is like, oh, if you didn't read, you know, Man of Steel number thirty, you're not going to understand what's happening in Steel number twelve. Like, right. not necessarily that, but if you're having the major crossover, there should be some sort of something like the 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 early the early crossover issues where it's like, you know. Superman, meet, Superman meets up with Metron and they um that he does like his little message or whatever. 
like they talk about that in all of the crossovers that are in that part. So that was kind of cool. But other ones, like as far as the way they, they came out, it's like, oh, you know, oh, we saw Alpha Centuria, whatever they, the guy named from um, the Superman line. It's like, oh, we saw him in Zero R number two. It's like, but I haven't read that yet in the, the Omni. It takes place like that. Zero R number two came out after that issue hit the stands or I'd be like, that's not helpful to anybody. But if like it's more if they know from the beginning, OK, you know, we're going to do X crossover at some point this year, not just like, a oh. You know, whatever. If you're starting a new a new series and you're like eight issues in, you'll know that going in. Like, oh, issue seven is going to have to tie into this big thing somehow. So we'll figure out a, a way to make it work where it's not just the um, kind of the throwaway panel where it's like, oh, zero hour, wink at the camera and fade to black, and that's the end of the issue. You know what I mean? Like that. That was my only thing with that. And as far as crossovers like that, if they could do it some way like that, which I know is asking a lot, that'd be kind of slick. But you know. Everyone has their own ideas as far as like, like you're saying, editorial decisions are always tough. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because, like I said, <laughs> I, I read uh, I read some of the tie in issues tie in. We'll put that in quotes on, yep. the, on the app. And I would have to double check the order that they put them in because, uh, yeah, that is kind of interesting with the omnibus that it, if it didn't quite follow the reading order that you would need it to. Mm-hmm. Although, as I've come to find the uh, <laughs> DC collected editions department often <laughs> often leaves. That's what I've heard. Much to be desired. Well, you know what? It's a fun postscript because I did an episode uh, a little while, not not too long ago, uh, with Gabe from uh, Omnibros Live, and we talked about collected edition yep. trends. and And he asked me like, "Have I had a hard time sourcing, you know, certain uh, stories for episodes that I'm doing?" And I said, "Ah, it hasn't really been a huge issue." Well, update on that because um, <laughs> for for the Superman show, digging for Kryptonite, I am uh, actually right. I think right after this episode airs, the next run of episodes on Digging for Kryptonite is a three-part look at pre-crisis Superman. So I'm doing an episode on Golden Age, Silver Age, Bronze Age, right? So I'm looking for a selection of stories from each of those eras. And in print and in on the app, it's very it's limited. Like Which more, is crazy. More limited than you would think. There's, I guess, Golden is probably the best represented because they've done those omnibus collections of Superman and the mm-hmm. Golden Age. They've done a few of those. And that's the thing. It's like as much as I would love to have this available digitally where I can access it through the yearly subscription fee that I'm paying and be done with it, even if there were like a Superman in the Silver Age omnibus, it's like I would consider buying it. At least it's available. And then I have a a large selection of stories to pull from. Very challenging. So just a side note. I mean, I will say publication or or, uh, listing order aside, uh, the app does have all the zero hour stuff. We'll give them that. Yeah, at least there's that. So I think I've gotten a sense from you already, but how overall, how did this hold up for you? Because I know you said this, you know, I guess kind of held somewhat of a special place for you going in. I mean, how, yeah, how did it hold just, up? Just because of like the nostalgia of, oh, yeah, comics in the 90s. Like it was a five week thing where every week you're like, oh, I got to get the, all the stuff and everything. Um, OK, I guess is the way I'll word it. Like it's not the best, obviously, because it is, you know, a product of its time, the 90s, if you will. Um, but the. um the way it it didn't really have a flow to it when I was reading it. So it like what happens in the actual main um, miniseries or whatever versus the filler stuff that was kind of put in there. A better way to read it would be the way you did it, which is get a trade of just a zero hour. And then it's like, oh, well, if they reference something and you like that character, sure, check out that issue or whatever. But I would not recommend anybody does it via the Omni because, again, it takes you out like, there's one three-part story that bounces across three different Justice League titles. 
And it's like, um, I don't know who the, the character is, Triumph or whatever. I think he's in issue zero of Zero Hour. And he like he has a three-part story that goes through the Justice League series. You're like, oh, okay. But it's not really like pertinent to the actual like everybody like in the vanishing point and trying to deal with the actual mission, if you want to call it that. So if you can read the stuff that's tied to the zero hour mini miniseries, I would say, sure, go ahead, but do it the way you did it, which would be read the mini, the, read the miniseries and then go back and cherry pick issues that you want to read. That's the way I would recommend doing it. I would recommend that for anyone who hasn't read it or is looking for a reread. I, I do recommend doing it the way I did. That being said, and if this makes you feel any better, <laughs> I don't know that I was the best reading experience the way I did it either. I, I, you know, I, <laughs> here's the thing. I, you know, I have a lot of love and respect for, for Dan Jurgens and Jerry oh, Ordway, yep. the, the creative team. And of course, they were, you know, key parts of the Superman creative teams during the period that I read growing up. So same here. I have a lot of love, a lot of respect. To say this as diplomatically as possible, I don't know that this is the best representation of their work. I, I, mm -hmm. I would say uh, it is. I mean, it is very 90s. I here's my one zero hour story from being a kid. And I was trying to remember. I don't think I read. I don't think I read the main miniseries until a few years later. But I was reading okay. the Superman books at the time. So I read yep. the zero hour tie-ins. <laughs> I still remember this. I was at uh, Dragon's Den, part of the now defunct family of stores uh, in Yonkers, New York. There was an outdoor uh, shopping mall called Cross County. And there was a Dragon's Den comic shop there. And my mom had taken me and I picked up one of the uh, Superman issues that tied into Zero Hour. I forget which one it was, but the other gimmick as part of the storyline was that as time was being erased, like the last couple of pages of would fade out, yep. would, would fade out to white. Now, as a as a kid, a little I mean, I don't, yeah, 94, I was seven and I wasn't reading the the main miniseries. I didn't know what was going on. I remember that my mom <laughs> bought me that comic and I guess walking out of the store or in the car, I was flipping through it and I was like, hey, what the hell? They're like, they're all blank pages at the end. And so we went back into the store <laughs> and she was like, excuse me, like there's a printing defect here. <laughs> and then the guy, and I think, and I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I think he paid, I don't think he was like, hey dummies, like this is part of the story. Yeah. I think he explained it uh, respectfully and, and nicely. Uh, but yeah, that's my one little zero hour story. I remember that from being a kid. I was like, what, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> so, that's and then years later, as I read the actual story, then I, I fully understood. And You're like, oh, I get it now. Mom, we weren't dumb. There was a thing. <laughs> yeah, it was like a whole thing. It's like a cross. So there's an omnibus now. I, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. Overall, it, there was some nostalgia there for me uh, as I was yep. as I was reading it. And it was, I guess it was with, any, I guess, any of these crossover events and probably this one in particular uh they, they really are a snapshot of the dc universe at a at a particular moment in time and so there's something kind of cool yes, about sir. that as you see the looks and the different characters that were active at the time many many of whom especially the newer characters they introduced during the story that i guess yep. the hope was like this is going to be the next wave of dc heroes and a lot of them you know, didn't, didn't stick Not around so much, <laughs> not so much, but so there's that element that's like kind of cool. It's like, okay, you get a nice snapshot. Uh, but as far as the story itself, even putting aside the way the crossover was constructed, yep. but even just the story itself, I found, uh, I wasn't terribly engaged as I was reading this. 
again, so so you had mentioned uh, Final Crisis before. It's like I never read Crisis. I haven't read Crisis. What? So Crisis on Infinite Earths and the one they just that the, the most recent one is Final Crisis. I think right. Yeah. So it was Crisis. Yeah. Then Infinite Crisis was uh, yes. two thousand five, and then the then Final Crisis. Yeah, I haven't read any of those three. Um, so uh, basically, anything any of my knowledge of DC stuff is after uh, Crisis because it would have been like you were saying in the nineties or whatever. So. It's like, yeah, everything we've done in the last 10 years, let's just make that go away and we'll just redo everything all over again. And they even mentioned Crisis in it because Wave Rider sees the, I guess, how he saw how Crisis happened or whatever. And everyone's like, yeah, are you sure, though? Like, but I don't know. Like, they, they, what, it's the three out of the five, they talk about how Extent is the, um, like, the main baddie. And then, like, oh, no, it's actually Parallax. And it's like, okay. So Hal Jordan's behind all this. Does any like and Guy Garner's for the most part's like, why? Like, can we stop him? I don't know. It was weird. Um, <laughs> like so some like reading some of this the tie-in stuff, like the Batman stuff with Batgirl, like that issue is good because it shows her come when she comes in and stuff like that. There's one uh one of the issues that stands out to me is the green arrow, whatever I think it's number 90, where it's basically just a silent issue. There's no dialogue at all, and it's just it's mirroring panels and it's like oh, okay if he jumped this way he would have missed and then they, like everything is like, it's basically like a choose your own adventure book that you, you don't take your finger out of the page it's like no, no no i didn't do that i didn't take my finger out of the page it doesn't count um i thought that that issue was pretty slick i mean it doesn't really do too much except at the end when he gets taken away by wave rider or whatever but overall it was just a pretty cool issue with it being like no dialogue and just showing a kind of chase story it was pretty slick but yeah i i I don't know the story overall, like you said, it's just, it's a lot of stuff. And then at the very end of it, you're like, but is it a lot of stuff? Was it? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like when you get one of those giant boxes from Amazon and inside is like one DVD. You're like, why, why, why is there a giant box and only one thing in this giant box? It's kind of the analogy I just, that just popped in my head. It's a lot of stuff when there really wasn't a lot of stuff. Oh man, that's, that's like a perfect analogy. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm with you. I, you know, it was the sort of thing where as I was reading it, I mean, I'm not going to, I made a promise to be like honest on this show as I'm, you know, yep. talking about the stuff that I'm reading and it was a bit of a slog, even only five it issues. It was a slog. And when I was done, I said to myself, I was like, you know, I know Nick and I have a fun conversation, so I'm not worried. Oh, like I course. know I'll get a good episode yep. out of it. But I was like, I don't know how much I really have to say about this story. Uh, yeah. You know, because it really, it does fit the mold of the, I guess, quote unquote, like typical crossover, especially of the time where it's like all of, all of reality is at stake. The heroes assemble and it's a lot of them running around, like just trying to stop it and losing. And then they win in the end. But there's like a lot, you know, and it's a lot of characters thrown in. And so, you know, you might have a favorite character who has like a couple of lines or something like that, but I don't feel like anyone really you know, it's no one hero story, which is fair enough. Nope. I don't, you know, it, that's yep. not the nature of these events. But as a result, it's like, yeah, you just have like a lot of characters thrown together and like a lot of quick moments. And uh, yeah, I think your analogy is is pretty spot on overall. Yeah. yeah, it's just just a lot of stuff and not a lot of stuff at the same time. I love that Green Arrow issue, though. That was one of the ones yes, that, that I read. That yeah. That's the thing. There were some cool times. I read the Batman one as well, where Batgirl shows up, right? So that's the thing, as uh, time is being... <laughs> 
destroyed, we're seeing all of these uh, temporal distortions and anomalies. So versions of characters who no longer exist post-crisis, like Barbara Gordon Batgirl, she shows up there and like, what's going on? So there's stuff like that. Uh, and so that Batman issue was cool. The Green Arrow one, yeah, really was. That was yeah, an interesting pretty, one. I, I think that's the highlight of the whole thing for me. I had, You know, and I, I had read that at the time because I was... Or not at the time, but later I had gone back and I was I was I was on a Green Arrow back issue quest at one point years ago, mm. and I had read that, and that was a cool issue. I had forgotten about that. I did read, and I think these were probably the two strongest issues: the Green Lantern tie-in and the Zero yep. Hour issue, and the the Zero the Zero issue. Oh, the, the, the Green Lantern Zero. Yep, yep. Yeah, um, both of those were really strong. Uh, so the the quote unquote tie-in issue there again, not not a ton of tie-in, but it was still a strong story. It was right yep. after uh, Kyle. This is Kyle has just become Green Lantern just at this point. Yep, and his uh, girlfriend Alex has been killed and stuffed in a refrigerator by Major Force, birthing the women in refrigerators uh, mm -hmm. movement. But Broke. yep. So, uh, but we we pick up with the you know the climax of his battle with Major Force. And him still dealing with the fallout of, of Alex's death and everything he's wrestling with. Is he going to continue as Green Lantern? All of that. And he has his first meeting with Alan Scott. And Alan Scott gives him this whole tutorial on what the Green Lantern Corps used to right, be right. and who Hal Jordan yep. was. Like, it was it was really cool and a momentous first meeting between these two characters. And then the Zero issue uh, was even more interesting because it, it picks up right after the end of, of Zero Hour. Uh, and we find Kyle and Hal uh, on Oa. And now you said you you didn't read that one, right? I didn't read. I did. I read it back in the day. Like I have all of. I still have the entire miniseries and all the zero issues out in storage or whatever. But I haven't read it in since it it released. So I don't really like have any fresh thoughts on it or whatever. You know what I mean? Gotcha. But yes, I haven't read it recently. It's that's that was worth a read. It was a nice postscript to zero hour and also i mean it really cemented the fact that kyle is our green lantern now moving forward you know at the time yep um because you know hal like really kind of breaks down and and explains like all i was ever trying to do is make things right i lost coast city like he, he kind of goes through everything and kyle feels a degree of sympathy and kyle of course is dealing with his own imposter syndrome right at this point in the story he doesn't feel like he's worthy of the ring he gives the ring back to hal and then wow. very quickly realizes this guy is not all there <laughs> and is able to get the jump on Hal and take the ring back. And he uh, he overloads Oa, basically. He like bombards the, the, the power within the planet with his ring and causes an overload. And uh, in the aftermath of that explosion, we see Kyle as the remaining Green Lantern. And then Hal would come back in Green Lantern for a two-part story, I think like a year or so later, and then Hal would, of course, continue to play a role in the DC universe and other events. But at least for the time, I mean, yeah, Kyle won and Kyle was moving forward as the Green Lantern. That was a cool issue. So there was some really good stuff, I think, in and around uh, yes. Zero Hour, maybe more so than the main story itself. Exactly. Because, again, the main story, like it could it, it it's it's almost like it's like a, a one issue, like one shot would have if they condensed everything down to like maybe like an 80 page one shot, it would have been way more impactful if you will as opposed to spread it out over five weeks or whatever who knows the other thing too that's funny so you said you have not read crisis on infinite earths correct so i have and i read it fairly recently for a different uh podcast episode a couple of years ago so it's not it's not super fresh but it's relatively fresh for me and that actually made 
me enjoy this less, to be honest, because, and you know, <laughs> we, we haven't, we haven't addressed this yet, but you know, we keep calling it zero hour. It's called zero hour crisis in time. Mm -hmm. Right, so it does have crisis in the in the subtitle there. Of course, it does. It has to, right? But I was—it's funny because I never think of it in that way. But it's true; it is crisis in time, and I think that was their starting point. And then they, you know, add, added the zero hour to it. But I think the starting point was like, "Oh, we'll have another crisis." And having read reread Crisis fairly recently, this kind of feels like Crisis Light because yep. it hits most of the same beats, right? Instead of. Uh, different earths, different universes being wiped out. It's timelines in this case, Yep. right? And again, we have the same assembling of heroes and instead of parallel earths colliding with our earth, we have alternate timelines and alternate realities colliding with ours. And, you know, the specter gets involved towards the end just as he did in Christ. Like it, it, it hits a lot of the same beats, but it doesn't have, it doesn't feel as momentous or as impactful as Crisis. And, you know, Crisis, you know, wherever you fall on it, you know, it, it did streamline all of DC continuity into, into one universe, one Earth. And that was a, you know, the fact that we refer to the DC universe as pre and post Crisis really says a lot. Zero Hour didn't, you know, didn't have that. I think the intent didn't do was, anything at all. It really didn't do much because at the end of the story, right, they are able to restart time and... So the timeline, you know, unfolds with some alterations. And I guess that was their way of, and actually Jurgens addresses this in his introduction where he says that they told all the creative teams that if there's anything you want to change or fix in that your zero issue, this is your, this is going to be your opportunity to do it. So, you know, again, I don't know how much really necessarily came out of it that was, you know, that impactful even at the time or that, you know, had, had a lasting legacy. Yeah, I mean, like, I think Aquaman, the only one that, like, jumps in my brain right now is Aquaman number zero, because that's where he, like, lost his hand or whatever, and then he has the harpoon, the, the spear or harpoon or whatever for a hand for however long. Like, all these years later, that's the only thing that really kind of sticks out in my head is that. The only other thing but for other me. Other than that. Yeah, no, I'm with you. The only other thing for me, and this is actually not a small thing, and it's it's funny because we're talking about a very 90s crossover event here, but... The Starman, the James Robinson Starman series was born out of yep. this. Have you read that? Uh, no. Like I said, I, I probably read the Zero just because I got all of those because gimmicks. Um, but no, I never really followed it after that. So that's something that I do recommend. Like if you're looking, I mean, it's 80, it's an 80 issue series with some specials and stuff like that. But it is so far afield in a great way of what you would expect from DC superhero comics in the 90s. Uh, James Robinson wrote the entire series and it follows Jack Knight assuming the mantle uh, in a very reluctant way and very strong themes of, of fathers and sons in particular, which I think is something that you will relate to. Um, yep. You know, it, it resonated with me when I read it at the time. I've not done a reread since becoming a dad and that's something that I know I will. Like I want to, I want to dive back into that because I think I'll appreciate it even more. But it was such a, sophisticated and nuanced series uh, and again that was born out of zero hour so there you know there was some cool stuff that that did come out of it in in unexpected ways uh you know so so at least there's that yeah there you go i mean again and like you were saying they were told that like, hey if you want to fix anything with your series zero is the time to do it so anything you want to add or subtract or whatever now is the time to do it so 
anybody that had never read comics can jump in theoretically at that point and just, you know, go from there. But I don't feel like, like you said, like people still mention crisis. Nobody really talks about zero hours. It didn't have the impact that they were, that they were hoping for. I'm guessing because you, uh, crisis was what in the early eight, mid eighties, right? Yeah. Something like that. So, and it's what, 30 years later, we're talking about it. Um, and zero hour was 10 years after that. And it's like, yeah, it was a blip. It was a blip in the thing. And now it's gone. Yep. Pretty much. Uh, let's take a 30 second commercial break and then uh, we'll, we'll continue our chat much more, much more to say about zero hour. <laughs> yes. Movie lovers should check out this family of film festivals, the Brightside Tavern Film Festival in Jersey City, the Hang On To Your Shorts Film Festival in Asbury Park, and the Point Lookout Film Festival on Long Island. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Also, be sure to listen to the podcasts hosted by the festival's organizer, C.J. Cullen. You can find the official Hang On To Your Shorts podcast, as well as the Cullen On Film podcast, via a shared universe network. And we're back. So... You know, you mentioned uh, a few of the tie-in issues that you did enjoy. What else, either tie-in issues or moments in the main story, uh, stood out to you? Either way, whether you really liked it or didn't. What what really jumped out Let at you? Let me get my notes. <laughs> I have three pages of notes. <laughs> because all I really did was put the issue number down and say whether or not it should be read or not. Let's see. No... Hmm. Oh, wait. While you're going through your notes, let me just share this with our audience because I don't want anyone to think... You know, it's funny because we didn't address this at the top and I don't want anyone to think like, what the hell? Like Anthony made Nick read this entire omnibus. <laughs> he only read. No, no, no. He, you, told, you told me repeatedly, hey, you can just read the five issues and that'd be cool. I'm like, no, I'm going to do the whole thing. And I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Which I want, hmm. you know, that, and that's the thing. I respect your process. And so I was like, look, if you want to read all of it, go for it. And it's helpful to me because it's like now you can share stuff about issues I didn't read. But yeah, just to be clear, uh, <laughs> all, all, all that was required was the main five issue miniseries. And, uh, and, and you, yeah, you went, you went for that omnibus. Of course. Um, so, I mean, there's a super, one of the Superboy tie-ins, Superboy number eight. Um, it's, you know, your very 90s Superboy. Um, that was a, a fun read just because it, the classic Superboy or whatever. It also like it starts with him and then the 90s Superboy shows up and whatever. And then it shows like the welcome to Smallville with uh, the home of Superboy with the, you know, classic Superboy pose or whatever. And then at the end of the issue, it says what visit Hawaii or whatever. And it shows because I guess that's where 90s Superboy is from. And it's mm -hmm. the same, basically the same billboard, but with the new Superboy on it. That was a pretty, that was a pretty, like, you know, entertaining read because, you know, Superboy is like, oh, I got to go visit all of these people that I know. And it's like, yeah, nobody knows. Like, it's been years or whatever. So I think he goes to visit Lana, maybe. And she's now married to someone else. She's like, oh, you were my only love and blah, 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 and flies away. And that one was fun. There's one uh, Team Titans number 34, I think is the one that's the thing. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, 21. I don't have a good reason why it should be read because it's like not really like a great um, story. I think it's just a fun story to read, regardless of where it falls in the the thing. It was just fun. I, I don't know. After I finished it, I'm like, yes, you should read it. Why? I don't have an answer for that. It's just it's enjoyable. You know what I mean? Um, there are a lot more no's and maybes than definite hard yeses. Like anything that's like I was saying, the main people involved, like Superman or Batman. 
I guess the flash issue sort of because that kind of gets leads right up to the zero hour number four. Yeah, the first issue, because that's when he like gets to it shows how he gets to wherever he is in the future or whatever. So some of the like main main DC heroes, sure, read those tie-ins, but other other miscellaneous ones, eh, you don't really have to. And again, some of them, like I said, some of them are fun. Like there's a steel tie-in, but it's just like steel, it's a very heavy continuity in the steel story, like um world or whatever. So you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't remember these characters because it's issue eight or whatever. So it's like, you know, he's with his family and stuff like that. And then a young John Henry gets taken out of time from wherever he is. And he ends up in the present and he saves like his family and stuff. And like, oh yeah, you know, oh my, my, our uncle's name is John Henry. He's like, oh, we have the same name. It's just like one of those type of, I don't want to say cheesy, but so it's like, it's not really important to the zero hour world, like overall thing. It's just like a, eh. It's like a maybe read it if you really like steel. Sure, read it. But um, yeah, that Team Titans 21 is just a fun read for zero reason, I guess. Uh, and again, obviously, that Green Arrow issue is, I think, the highlight of all of the um, non-main heroes, I guess, because the Green Lantern issue, like you were saying, is a very important one as far as the story goes. You know what I mean? Like, So Superman, Flash, Batman, Green Lantern, those for sure, just because... They all tie in pretty heavily with the um, the whole story, but anything that's kind of random, eh, unless it's something you care about, like the I never really got into like the Legion superheroes or Legionnaires or whatever they are, and like the st the stories of those, I'm like it's I think it's part four, five, and six of a six part series, like a six part crossover thing, and I'm like, okay, what what happened in the first three like thing? I don't know who these characters are or what their I guess motivations are. It's like oh these past versions of ourselves. I'm like. They don't even look like the same people, so I can't see how you're saying that the past versions or the future versions or whatever, like, they're not the same at all, like, not even remotely similar. So it's it's really hard to kind of follow a lot of the stuff. If you, like, the Superman, Batman stuff, I was actually following those titles at the time. There is one Shadow of the Bat issue that I don't recommend reading. Um, it's, like, at a out-of-place, out-of-time out of Alfred, mm -hmm. and it's, like, a completely different guy. Like, he's a klutz, and he's like really bad at being a thing. And he thinks he's going to be a detective. And it's like this story, like the shadow of the bat line was just very strange anyway, because it was just a weird story, like line of books. Anyway, shadow of the bat and like legends of the dark Knight were always just a very strange Batman thing because they were kind of out of continuity anyway. But yeah, like there's not a whole lot worth definitely reading. You know what I mean? <laughs> like the three JLA titles eh? Catwoman, eh? like, yeah, which one did I say hard? No, what is that? Oh, yeah. Um, it'd be better if I could read my own writing. Yeah, Anima number seven. I was like, I don't know who this character is. Like, she, I, I think she was one of the characters, like you were saying, that was kind of created right before the event. And they're like, oh, the, we'll kind of get get people to read this book by having that zero hour tag on it is a good way to to like drag people from the main story into like your other books you got going. But when you're like, yeah, now this makes sense because it's like it's not really a tie -in. It's like the last three panels just fade to white. And it's like, that it doesn't tie into the main story. So if you got it, picking it up, you're like, Oh, there's going to be something to do with zero hour. And you read it and you're like, but it doesn't. And I don't know anything about you just end up more confused than anything else. Well, and that kind of harkens back to the original crisis where, uh, you know, there was the whole red skies bit, right? So if books, I think books sort of had, and I didn't, as much as I read the main crisis series, I didn't read, 
the tie-in stuff. But my understanding is that, you know, much as in the case here, there were some titles that did tie in in a more significant way and others that just kind of had the red skies a la the white issues at the end, the white pages ah, at the gotcha. end of zero hour, that sort of thing, just to sort of let you know, like something's happening. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, I guess that's, that's par for the course with this. I too, I did read the Superboy issue. So I'm going to be revisiting that issue on digging for kryptonite in the future because next year on, on that podcast, I am planning a, a look at the pre-crisis Superboy which who okay. a character I've been very mixed on because I don't really love the mm-hmm. idea of Clark operating as Superboy, but I've kind of come around on it a little bit because it's like so many of the elements that I loved from the Smallville television series and from you know comics that I've read post Crisis. It's like well they did borrow from a lot of that, and so it added to the mythology in a, in a way that is meaningful to me. So I don't know. I'm kind of mixed on that. So I'm going to spend some time with pre Crisis Superboy. So I did take a look at that issue, and yeah, that was cool to see the two of them interacting. Uh, the Green Arrow issue was was also a highlight, as we said. It reminded me of when Marvel did their Nuff Said event. Nuff Said, yep. All those all silent issues. Uh, and yeah, I would be curious to hear what the motivation was to, to tell the story in that way for Green Arrow. But it was really, like, that was a cool issue. That was really a lot of fun. Um, and the yeah, weird thing the about Ar- it yeah. is, is that it was a the conclusion of the Crossroads, like... yeah. Um, story. So I don't know how many parts it was. I know I had issue 86 because Catwoman was in it. And I had all of like that line of Catwoman. I had all of like her appearances and everything. So I know it, it cross-referenced something with that. So I think he was just going around and it was like him teaming up with different heroes per issue. I think I can't remember. So it's like, it's a conclusion of uh however many part event. And you're like, but how is this? the How is this the end of your, like your big green arrow event? I, I don't know how they kind of, felt that that would tie it up i guess i mean he kind of walks away from everything at the end of zero hour but it's like i don't know if you're reading like a, a six-part like story within your run and it's like okay so it ends on a silent issue what 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 was resolved <laughs> especially considering of the way it did it like it, it's a really slick issue and i like it as a standalone thing you know what i mean but if you're if you're having that be your your end all be all of whatever run you were doing it to me it just kind of seems lost if that makes sense so I can speak to that a little bit because I, I am familiar, it's been years, but I am familiar with that crossroad storyline. So that was right after uh, Mike Grell ended his lengthy run on the book. And okay. during the Grell era, the book kind of existed in its own little pocket of the DC universe, not necessarily out of continuity, but it was really sort of its own thing. And so I guess the idea with Crossroads after he left was that he was going to have like this tour through the DC universe and team up with all these characters. So as best as I recall, I think it was more of a thematic banner, the Crossroads thing, rather than like a 10 or 15 part storyline. Story. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Now to your point, I still don't know how much this necessarily like wraps <laughs> that up. Uh, but then right after this, uh, you know, as far as just kind of placing this in the context of the Green Arrow story, right after this, uh, Oliver is going to go to the monastery where he's going to meet Connor Hawk, who he'll find out is his son. And then that ultimately leads to Oliver's death in Green Arrow 101, uh, just about a year after the issue that we read for this. So uh, that's kind of where, where that falls. Yeah. So, again, interesting stuff sort of around uh, Zero Hour. Uh I sent you one of the funniest aspects of all of this to me was DC made this 15 minute promotional video (laughs) that they Mm -hmm. sent to comic shops to get them to order zero hour and those zero issues that followed the zero hour crossover. 
And this 15 minute promotional video, it's on YouTube. Uh, so if you just search for DC zero hour promotional video, you, you'll find it. And it features interviews with most of the DC editorial staff of the day as they are describing the crossover and the zero issues and why they're such great jumping on points. And the, the coup de grace of this whole thing, the kicker, is that uh, they have, they have a, this shadowy green figure who's watching all of the interviews uh, on television monitors. And of course, we know, having read Zero Hour, that that's Parallax. Uh, and so he's kind of watching and roasting the interviewers, uh, the interviewees yep. as they're talking about it. It's, a, it's a, an interesting and fun uh, 90s relic. And you get to see the DC offices and the DC editorial staff. What, what, what did you think about it? Um, like you said, it's uh, very, <laughs> I don't want to say silly, but yeah, I have an idea for you. Um, all of your comic shop friends that you dealt with, with your, um, <laughs> my movie of last year, my comic shop country documentary, you should send them that video and ask them if that would make them order this storyline. Cause uh, I would like to hear Sean's take on that. That would amuse me to no end. Um, <laughs> Lord retail. I wonder, I wonder if he'd give you a straight answers to how many copies he'd order. No. Uh, yeah, no, of course not. Never. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was, um, I don't see like, honestly, that was sent to like comic shops to be like, Hey, you should order this. And this is why that's kind of crazy. That's my understanding. I don't know if it was used in, in any other thing. And it's, I mean, it's funny because I mean, that makes sense, right? Cause there was no YouTube at the time. How of else course. would they have gotten this no internet the way it is i mean so yeah i mean unless they showed this at conventions too i mean i don't know but i think that was the primary purpose and listening to the interviews it does make sense like you could see why like that would track if that was the main objective i have to ask steve odo of, of alternate realities i'm sure he won't remember of course not. <laughs> but, but i'll ask him but yeah on that note that was how you and i crossed paths was uh you you started tweeting about the, my documentary film my comic shop country which is on the wall behind me here and uh you were you were so complimentary and so gracious you had me on um you know one of the podcasts that you were a part of you named it your movie of the year i was i was very honored and i'm glad that we've been able to you know connect and now become friends via social media and do this so uh yeah the movie really uh, brought us together Yes, it did. And I now would say that I have a relationship with Menachem from Escape Pod and Sean from um, Fat Moose. I talked to uh, uh, Mark at Aya Comics now and then, but nice. yeah, yeah, it's definitely um, opened up a lot more stuff. Menachem definitely appreciates it because I definitely get orders from him quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. No, no, it's very cool. Yeah. But so that 15 minute video. Yeah, it's so funny. And there's <laughs> one line that really jumped out at me. The, the, the late Denny O'Neill, Batman group editor at the time, said that those zero issues were the best jumping on point for Batman since 1939. That was a yeah, I heard bold that. statement. That's a bold statement. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to, to be fair, to say any like any issue is like this is the best jumping on point ever is a bold statement. Just just in general. You know what I mean? Like. Because to be fair, like, wouldn't jumping on after uh, Crisis be kind of the best point to jump in on on anything? Because they kind of that's kind of where they rebooted everything, right? Well, so all right. Well, with respect to Batman, yeah, I mean, you have Batman Year One, which is to this day regarded as one of the best Batman stories of all time. So yes, I would argue that's that's probably your best jumping on point. But <laughs> what that's the thing with Crisis. I was going to bring this up, so I'm glad you mentioned it because I felt this way after rereading the original Crisis, and even more so now. I truly feel it was a misstep to not 
do a full-on hard reboot after Crisis on Infinite Earths because it what they did was not a full-on reboot. I mean, they retold the origins of characters and, and they wiped the slate in certain respects, but it wasn't like they just completely started from scratch. That's why we ended up with Crisis in Time and then Infinite. Like, they keep having these events over the years to clean up the continuity. And I think had they just done a, a straight reboot, um, which... As I recall, I think this was in Marv Wolfman's like introduction or afterward to uh, to Crisis. I think that was his intention, um, mm-hmm. and then there was pushback on that, so it ended up not being like as full of a restart as as intended. And so, like Crisis itself sort of became like this vague memory that the heroes had of a battle they fought. Like it just, I think it ended up being something a little more nebulous than originally intended, and I think that led to the need for stories like this and. You know, I think you look at a story like Zero Hour and there are some, I think there are some effective moments and character beats and I have a couple of examples, but I think all in all, whenever your starting point for a story, whenever, I mean, look, at the end of the day, all these stories are designed to sell, to make money and that that's, that's par for the course with this. But of course, that being said, in the construction of a story, I think when the, when the, the motivation behind it is continuity cleanup. It's exceedingly <laughs> unlikely that you're going to get like a wonderful, dramatic, like emotionally resonant story that's going to stand the test of time. I just don't think it's those types of stories are built for that. Of course. Yeah. Because, I mean, the only way to do that would be to be like, OK, you know, the end of whatever crossover thing is, is like pan- the last panel, whatever hero it is, is dead. And then you just start the next one. It's like, OK, all those people are dead. Here's like, you know. You, that, that was universe a this is universe b and this is how it is that like any of those stories don't matter at all like nothing you know about that is whatever it's here you go that's the only way to do it and even that you're still going to get the people that are like well you know this is very similar to what happened it's like yeah it can be similar because you know you know forks in the road and whatever blah 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 people will will may still end up at the same point through their lives but it's yeah there's no real easy way to do a hard reboot like that yeah so you know i mean the story is what it is there's there's some good stuff in there i you know i did not read the superman tie-in issues because i plan to hit those on digging for kryptonite probably next year because they the zero issues introduced kenny braverman who would go on to become the villain conduit who discovers clark's identity and basically takes apart his life it was a pretty cool story in 95 i want to say yeah i think it was 95 Uh, but they introduced him in those zero issues so uh, I, I will be hitting that on the other show. Um, of course. I, I do look forward to that. I mean, I, all in all, I think the zero issues were probably the most effective part of this, right? Even if it wasn't a yeah. matter of like fixing continuity, but just in terms of, you know, giving people giving people a jumping on point, like this is an issue we're going to lay out their backstory and their motivation and, you know, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, make some alterations, but, uh, you know, introduce new characters, like in the case of Conduit. So like, I think there was, um, I think there was value at least in the zero issues. And then DC would do the same thing during the new 52. They did a whole month of zero issues. Yeah. See, I never, like I am when I was in the comics, it was more like, you know, Superman, Batman, X-Men type of stuff. And now it's more, I definitely lean more towards Marvel and like image type of stuff over DC. I don't really get a lot of the dc collected stuff just because don't get me wrong marvel continuity is a, is a nightmare and nobody should try to untangle that web but i basically like the marvel epic collections like you and gabe had, ta- had mentioned those like i have there are 17 lines that i am getting i don't want to say all of because i don't care about silver age stuff so like x-men i'm starting at volume five which is where claremont took over 
So I'll take five through them. Daredevil, I have whatever. I had all of them. I don't care. Again, don't care about early stuff. So once Frank Miller takes like starts it, that's where that would be my first book in the Daredevil run. But it's like the they keep rebooting and everything with like DC because they had whatever and then they had um, Rebirth, New Fifty Two. Now now is Rebirth right? Like I don't know. Like they keep redo like. Oh no, we're starting all over. No, 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 we're starting all over. No, no, we're starting all over. So it's like I just can't even find a like jumping on point for DC. You know what I mean? I, you know, I mean, look, my heart is with DC, but it's like I know <laughs> it's it's challenging. And you know, with the new Fifty Two, that was as close to a hard reboot as they've done. But even there, you know, and I know I've talked about this in other podcasts, but there too, it's like books that were selling well, like Batman and Green Lantern they for the most part kept those storylines and continuities intact and then right off the bat it created problems because it was like of course in this version the heroes have only been active for five years yet you have damian wayne who's 10 and it's like well how does that work and then they came up yeah. with this whole they did sort of retcon that and it was like oh artificial aging like they had to throw all this stuff at it and it it just it quickly got uh problematic so yeah the fact that you know we kind of keep going through this uh yeah it's a little frustrating uh i i i definitely identify with that yeah um, so i mean it's it's tough but if people like if you like a character you'll find a way to enjoy it you know what i mean like so like i like batman superman stuff like that so like the batman ninja turtle crossovers i'll get those just because i also like the ninja turtles so those are just fun reads and the movie's great and but like overall i don't have a whole lot of dc like i have the jla you did the Grant Morrison JLA, right? No, not yet. That's coming next year. That's okay. So I have all of that run from issue one through like the final whatever issue. Like I have all those trades. Um, I'm definitely more of a trade than a single issue guy anyway, just because space and all that stuff. But for the most part, I don't really have a whole lot of DC stuff. So like, but I like you're saying Starman, like I like Vertigo. I have a lot of the Vertigo complete stuff like fables and hundred bullets is great stuff like that um but you were saying like i said starman i heard i i, I vaguely remember the ray being kind of like with this with the zero thing kind of re i don't want to say relaunched him but kind of made him more relevant i guess is the way to word it because he, he was in the um the zero miniseries but like he didn't have he didn't have a tie-in issue Right. There was no tie-in issue of the Ray, so but I know like there's a Ray number zero, like they that that they like oh these these new characters will start them at issue zero, so great point to jump on when we'll introduce all these new characters or whatever. I don't know, it's interesting, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean again, like there were yeah a lot of those characters and titles. I mean that was the thing going through even just scrolling through the app because they do have zero hour collected on the app like in its own little hub there where they have everything, nice. which is convenient. Uh, but just seeing some of the titles, like the Outsiders title and Valor and, you know, some of these other ones that it's like, well, I mean, mm -hmm. remember that these I were I know these people these are titles and yeah, characters who did not stick around. You know, they introduced a new version of Dr. Fate, you know, yep. again, like a very just 90s, fate, right? just fate. The well, yeah, it, if you remember from the promotional video, the tagline was <laughs> the doctor is out. And <laughs> right. Just fate. Yes, yes, yes. <clears throat> and he doesn't have the mask. Now he's just got the unk tattooed on his like half of his face right yeah yeah i think yeah, yeah 90s as hell <laughs> very you know very 90s and well you know kind of on that note you know when we talk about things that 
that did stand out about the zero hour, the main storyline, I say, I guess, I guess three things really jumped out at me. One, this was actually kind of minor, but I liked it. I thought this was a really nice touch and very in character. Uh, once the heroes realize what's going on, uh, that time is being destroyed and changing and they're trying to set everything right. Guy Gardner, um, thinks to himself, like, maybe we can, maybe we can fix, save Hal, like we can save Coast City, yep. like we can put things right. Um, which I thought was a nice touch and speaks to that relationship there strained though it, it might've been at times, but I thought that was cool mm -hmm. that he had that thought of like, Oh, like I can, I can help my friend. So I thought that was cool. Uh, and then the JSA, I mean, the JSA gets taken apart in this thing, uh, fighting accident yeah, at vanishing point. Um, and I guess that was, again, going back to this idea of, of like, how old are these characters actually? I think that, I think the JSA posed a problem for, uh, for the DC creative and editorial teams because, you know, they were so tied to World War II. And of course they've been around for so long. So it's like, how, how old would they have to be? And then of course, like they came up with all these various like spells and potions and like all these artificial means <laughs> of having kept them young yep. and, and Extant undoes all of that. And they, most of them, some of them die and, and others are, are aged. It stands out, not necessarily in a great way, because I think that really <laughs> it took them off the board for a while. But then, you know, a few years later, we would get the magnificent uh, David Goyer, James Robinson, Jeff Johns relaunch of that of that whole series and mythology, uh, which is my to this day, I mean, my favorite, you know, JSA incarnation. Hmm. Have you read any of that? I, of course not. <laughs> it's good. Nope. But again, lists of things are things I like. So <laughs> I'll, I'll like I pursue i guess the way to word it like for me there's a there's a huge difference between like buying comics and reading comics you know what i mean like i have all of these complete runs of stuff it's like i'll read it someday i'll be able to get to that someday so it's like if i hear that oh like this is great you should check it out it's like all right well i'll add it to the list you know what i mean so like, yeah. i do a lot of adding things to lists and then maybe i'll read it someday we'll see i hear you no, I, I totally respect that. And then the last thing I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, again, I know you're not, uh, you know, I know your heart is more with Marvel and all of that, but what, any take on Hal Jordan's role uh, as Parallax and all of this? Because this was, we, we find Hal here at a very weird point in his very DC weird. journey. So I don't know. What did you think of the use of Hal in this story? Like, I didn't read, what was it? Emerald Twilight, I think is what it was called. Yeah. Like when Coast City was destroyed. Like, I was never really huge into Green Lantern. Uh, obviously, I know who Hal Jordan is and everything. So, like, I understand, like, his quasi-motivation of him ba basically losing his mind, being like, I screwed up and I can fix it. Like, I can fix this. This can be fixed. I have the power to fix it. Just let me fix it. And what you're talking about with uh, Guy Gardner when he was like, oh, you know, maybe we can save Hal and stuff like that. Like, that was a cool moment when they had basically the divide of, like, the Batgirl out of time. She's like, well... I just I just want to live. So if I don't side with him, I'm going to die. So like the then the final issue there, they have, you know, a couple of the heroes like, oh, no, we're going to side with Hal and extent an extent or whatever extent extent, whatever. Um, but guy is like, yeah, no, I can't be on the same side as that guy. Right. That guy's a jerk. It's like, no, I like Hal. Sure. Hal has some points, but this guy, no. So. Having them kind of be divided. It, I mean, it gave it a little bit more, I don't want to say weight to it, but it made it more in even saying realism is a bit much, but it gave it more whatever, whatever the word is that I can't think of. It gave it more something because it's like, okay, well, like Batgirl, if, if she sides with the rest of the heroes trying to stop him, she's just going to die. So, but then when she sees that he's going to take out damage, he's like, well, you can't just kill the innocent kid. 
So she sacrifices herself, whatever. And that's another thing that that throws um, Green Arrow. He's like, yeah, I can't like it can't do this anymore or whatever. Um, he's like, you're not going to be you, like you may not have existed, but you won't be forgotten. I think is what he says. Something about that, like along those lines. Um, so yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. My, my the the train left the station. And I forgot what I was saying. Well, that's okay. <laughs> no, that's the thing. You know. And then that's a larger conversation about how Jordan and the journey that they took him on in the 90s. You know, my dear friend, Rich, who, you know, a member of the Alternate Realities crew, I mean, he loves Hal Jordan and he was not a fan of Hal's villainous turn. And, and I know there were a lot of fans who weren't. Um, I I guess it's interesting for me because I did not have that, that um, affection Attachment. for Hal. I mean, I met Hal during Reign of the Superman. Or I guess I met him during yep. funeral for a friend, but that, really got to got to know name. him during Reign of the Superman when Coast City is destroyed by Mongol and the cyborg Superman. And I mean, it really wasn't until years later that I then went back and I read the stories that followed Reign of the Superman in the Green Lantern title where Hal goes mad and destroys the Guardians and the core and becomes Parallax and, and all of that. And you know, since then now, of course, I've read, you know, because he had this run where he basically was was popping up in DC's like big events for a few years. Right. So he emerges as the surprise villain in Zero Hour. Uh, he emerges as the surprise hero in Final Night. <laughs> and, no, I didn't read Final Night. And then so that's I would recommend that that's been really the next as much as Hal did uh, make a couple more appearances in the Green Lantern title. Uh, I think it was called Parallax View, I want to say. There was like a two-part story where he fights Kyle again in, in the pages of Green Lantern. Uh, but then Final Night uh, is his uh, somewhat redemption. And then Day of Judgment is when he becomes the Spectre. Yeah, I was going to say, because he, he was Green Lantern, then he was Parallax, and then ultimately became the Spectre, which uh, Kevin Smith brought back in Quiver or whatever it was, the, the, right. Green, the Green Arrow thing, yep. Exactly. So... You know, do I think that these large events were necessarily the best way to tell Hal's story? No, probably not. I think that probably did the character and the fans a disservice by having these major, you know, these major turning points in the character happen in the middle of these events instead of his own story where it really could be fleshed out. But I don't know. For me, again, as someone without an attachment to Hal, uh, I think the broad strokes of it are are pretty interesting, at least. I mean, it... it makes that's the thing it's like it makes sense why he would go down the path he yeah. did with his city 100%. destroyed and i can fix it these guardians he loyally served to have the power to fix it won't let him i mean i know and i again i know the counterpoint is like well how would still never do that and it's like fair enough but uh again i don't know it was it was interesting and uh, and again he kept popping up in these you know in these events um so yeah it's funny because at the time i i don't know and I guess I would like I don't know how surprised people were when when he emerged as the villain in this story. Like I I just don't know if this was something that people were like, oh yeah, it's probably going to be Hal, or uh, or if they really were like completely. Like, oh my god, I can't believe it's him. I don't that I don't know. But listeners, yeah, listeners, I, viewers, feel free to to write in. Yeah, especially if you were like big in the like the DC universe at the time. Like I I kind of was, but. I can't really remember being all that, like you said, like I don't really have a an attachment for Hal Jordan either. So it's like, if you'd been like, cause we, you were, what, what, what was this? 94. So yeah. I was like 14. So I wasn't like super steeped into everything, but um, if you really knew all about the DC universe and like 
was it like that big aha moment when it reveals and you're like, oh my God, that's Hal Jordan or whatever. Or were you just like, I guess that's Hal Jordan. Cause that's the way I felt. It's like, I guess, uh, yep. Hal lost his mind. And I mean, again, it's that I have the power to fix this. Let me fix it. That's like his mentality and I get it, but I didn't ha I don't have the attachment from like the back in the day, Hal Jordan, when he was like the big hero and stuff. So, yeah. And I have to say, uh, you know, especially reading that, the Green Lantern zero hour tie-in and the zero issue. Uh, it just, it, re it reminded me of like how cool Kyle is. Because uh, mm -hmm. he was really the Green Lantern I grew up reading, especially in the pages of Grant Morrison's JLA, uh, you know, yep. in particular. And as much as, you know, I enjoyed the Green Lantern rebirth storyline where Hal came back and I enjoyed his redemption. And I thought that the explanation of how he was possessed and manipulated worked well enough it you know without sort of just completely retconning you know wiping away you know pretending that it had been an imposter or something like that like it worked with <laughs> it worked within the bounds of what had been established well you know so I, I i enjoyed that story but i was not as hot on the green lantern series that followed that jeff johns did and i know that was super po i mean it was so popular the sinestro core war blackest night like all that stuff was really popular i have all that stuff to read i just haven't read it yet i you know i'd be curious to know what you think when you do i you know but again I, it just i didn't hate it but it, i just wasn't as into it as everyone else and and again rereading these couple of issues just made me appreciate kyle more and to be honest for the future version of this book club podcast i don't know that i would really devote episodes to like that jeff johns hal jordan run but i probably yep. would go back and i'd reread the, the ron mars and the judd winnick uh, Kyle Rayner stories because I I have <laughs> fond go. memories of them and even just reading these couple of issues I'm like man like that they held up well yep yeah and I mean that's a good way to do it too is like you're saying you know taking someone that was a big Hal Jordan fan and rereading having you reread the Kyle stuff and they may not have read that and then you can be like okay explain why like Hal is the end all be all like He's like the end all be all of all the Green Lanterns. Whenever you talk about Green Lantern or whatever, people are like, oh, it was Hal Jordan. It's like, yeah, but it was Kyle, uh, John Stewart. See, I never read anything with John Stewart, so I know zero about him. So it's like everybody's like, no, it's Hal Jordan. It's Hal Jordan. So they keep trying to make him a thing, I guess is the way to word it. You know what I mean? Like you said, he keeps popping up in all the crossovers and all that stuff. So, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And it's like, look, I, again, I know there are a lot of Hal fans. I'm not, I don't dislike Hal. I like Hal well enough, yeah. but I, you know, there's there's really something about Kyle, this idea of, first of all, the fact that he's an artist and, you know, he wields a weapon that can create anything he thinks of. So I think that lends yep. itself really well to, uh, you know, to the Green Lantern power itself. And and I guess here's where I, I, I understand why people would feel differently. Like, I, I sort of like the idea that he was randomly given this ring and he wasn't prepared for it and he had to learn to become a hero uh, I think that's kind of cool. That being said, I do understand that does run counter to the Green Lantern mythology. The whole thing is that people <laughs> with the rings are yes. chosen. So it's like, I, you know, but again, without having grown up reading that iteration of Green Lantern, I, again, I didn't have that attachment to it. So this idea that this kid who's like really kind of a mess is going to find this ring and, and become the person he's supposed to be like that, that resonates with me. But I do understand why people, you know, uh, don't like that. And, you know, I, I would imagine Green Lantern fans who, who are, I guess on the more traditional side have probably been thrilled in recent years. I mean, with the full restoration of the Green Lantern core and mythology, I mean, that's, you know, you know, John's brought that back in a huge way. Yeah. I've heard like 
again, not being huge in DC, I've heard mixed things about Jeff Johns. Like there are people that are like, he's the best ever. And then there are other people like, no, like he's the worst. Ever. You know what I mean? Like, it seems to be a very divisive topic, I guess. Um, but I mean, as long as the majority of people feel like it's good, if you want to wear it that way, you know what I mean? It's, it's good overall, I suppose. But I mean, not, you're not going to please everyone all the time anyway. So very true. I mean, there's a stretch of John's that I really did enjoy, uh, like early to mid two thousands when he was doing flash and JSA Hawkman teen Titans. That I think was, uh, his strongest work as far as I'm concerned uh the stuff yep. that's followed after I've been more I've been more mixed on I guess the next work of his that I'll really be taking a look at is his uh his Superman on uh, <clears throat> on on the Superman podcast and that what, what's that podcast I've never heard of that <laughs> yeah. how many times have I plugged it in this I just want to make sure everyone's uh, know. everyone knows everyone's aware of it everyone's aware but that's a his take on Superman is not necessarily my preferred version so I'll, I'll save that for that other show but uh but yeah we will we will be talking about that i'll be looking forward to that um oh and then one other thing on zero hour so at the end at the very end of zero hour uh, oh i guess one other thing that I, I did think was was powerful was the fact as you mentioned before that it was ollie who puts the arrow in hal's chest at the end yep. i mean these it, two it, yeah and uh kyle's like no, no no you don't have to do anything like he's got no power left like he's and ollie's like yeah no i can't it nothing he has to be stopped. And it, like you said, it's Ollie that makes that call, if you will. And they'd been so tight for all those years and everything, which is why, again, it ties into when you were talking about the um, Kevin Smith run, when like it's how that has to convince Ollie to go back or whatever. So, yeah, the only yeah. thing, you know, and again, not not to be a downer here, but I guess the only thing that then gets a little tricky for me is that. Yeah, that's a powerful moment where where Ollie shoots Hal with the with the arrow, mm -hmm. and you know certainly if you have a knowledge of DC history and their relationship together, that you know that's really impactful and that packs a punch. But it's like solely in the context of this story. I mean, Ollie only shows up like at the end. Hal yep. only appears towards the end. So I guess that's but that's a problem that I have with a lot of these. Uh, big events and crossover stories where you know you, you have things like that and you don't really have a, a point of view character who's kind of whose journey you're following through this um yep. so you know again n and so that's one of those things where reading that as a kid for the first time i don't think that really it's like i knew it was a big deal from that final page where where ollie walks away he's like ah you know but i didn't have the history so it didn't really mean as much to me i guess in an ideal scenario, we would have had enough within the story itself to really build up to that moment as opposed to yeah, some flashbacks or whatever of them doing, you know, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, pal things or whatever. Right. Even but, if it wasn't like a huge thing, but some sort of even if you have just like a when he's when he's drawing back the bow, you just have like the like that be the big splash. And then you have all around like just different memories that he's having of times he had with Hal. But it's not even that it's just, you know, he shoots the arrow and you're like. Okay, and then they have like the, like the ghostly image of like you know classic Green uh, Green Lantern and Green Arrow like side by side type of thing. Yeah, exactly. But again, and I recognize, for the most part, that's just not the nature of these events, and I, and I get of that. Of course, it was. I don't know if you're like a big uh, fan of like Wave Rider and the Linear Men and all that stuff. 
now having watched DC's Legends of Tomorrow, uh, that, I was a little bit more intrigued by, you know, like Rip Hunter is there. And, yep. you know, of course, in this show, Wave Rider is a person uh, as opposed to a ship on on the, the DC show. But it was kind of cool now having watched that show for so many years to kind of go back and see those characters get the play that they did at the time in the comics. Yeah, I've never I, I haven't watched Legends of Tomorrow, um, so I don't really have much basis of knowledge of that entire group. Um, I know I've I've seen Wave Rider appear in other things across like my my reading of DC, but nothing super specific, you know what I mean, that I can like jump to. Um, but yeah, I mean it's if anybody gets anything out of this, then hey, it's it's succeeded, but <laughs> Yeah. And then I guess the last couple things I have are uh, in Jurgen's introduction to the that relatively new hardcover, he does talk about the uh, the new Time Trapper who appears on the final panel of Zero Hour, and mm-hmm. he strongly hints that that was the Barbara Gordon Batgirl. So, interesting. As far as I know, and I'm pretty sure nothing else was ever done with <laughs> that version with that. of the character with that, but that seemed to be the intention. And then there was a CBR article that Jurgen's gave a quote for it, confirming this that his original intention was for the JSA to get their own Earth after this storyline, for Hal, I guess, to create an Earth 2 for them. Uh, And then obviously that, you know, that wasn't the case. But just, it's weird to me, I guess, that, and I I would love to talk to Jurgens about this, because that seems to run so counter to what, the direction was right like, was we, like we had crisis to consolidate everything and then we had this storyline to smooth out the timeline so the idea that like oh now we're going to create another earth like i said seems to run so counter to the mission statement i don't i don't know but that that was his intention yeah that is like you said it's kind of very counterintuitive to the whole plan it's like oh yeah we're going to smooth everything out but we're going to have this, this one group they'll have their own their own reality or whatever it's like but we just wanted to put everything together i mean okay do your thing i guess (laughs) yeah i don't know well that's all i got anything else that that you wanted to say or talk about with respect to zero hour as far as zero hour goes no but as far as my uh desiato rc goes i have i still don't have my superman logo for you yet and i'm waiting i i reached out to oh yeah and they supposedly have stickers too so i will be getting uh that but i during the commercial break, I ran and grabbed the body. Ah, so it's got the uh, uh where's the stupid camera? I can uh, see. That there we go. Yeah, I see the Fat yeah. Moose comics so sticker. Fat, Fat Moose comics there. Amalgam is in the back window. Nice. Uh, hopefully, oh yeah, we'll go there. And I'm gonna put a Superman decal right there between the bars. Very nice. That's the plan. We shall see. That's cool. Well, if it's cool with you when it's all done, I'll, I'm happy to post uh, pictures in the Flat Squirrel Podcast sure. Network Facebook group so so everyone can see and on my other social media pages. Uh, but listen, man, thank you so much for doing this. This was fun. I'm glad that we got to podcast again and that I got to have you on one of my shows. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll be podcasting again in the future. I got I was saying this to you off mic, but I'll share, share with our audience as well. I was so excited to see the microphone that you have because you sound great. <laughs> You say, I mean, I've been, well, ha- good. you know, I've been happy with the audio quality I've been getting with all these remote recordings, but you know, again, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag, right. In terms of what my guests are working with on their end. So the fact that you have like a true microphone, uh, for me as the podcast, I'm like, oh, like this is so nice. So thank you. Yeah. When, um, the podcast I had you on film guff, um, they were in the UK. Well, they are in the UK. So 
that's I've always podcasted remote. I have very I've only podcasted in person a couple of times, and that's when I took a West Coast uh, tour a couple of years ago uh, and visited some friends out there that have podcasts, and we actually sat down in one room together. So this is the way I've always done it. So it's like, yeah, you have to have a decent mic and you know all that setup. So yeah, yeah, Kevin yeah. Alley over at Film Guff. That's where I am no longer a part of, but hey, they're still doing their thing. So right check on. them out. Right on. Um, all right. Well, listen, Nick, thank you again very much for being part of this. And thank you to all of our listeners and viewers for checking out this and any of our uh, prior installments of My Comic Shop Book Club. Again, we'll be relaunching in 2022. Uh, Looking so, forward to it. So, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited. There will be announcements before then, but uh, but make sure uh, that you come back next year for fresh book club installments from Flat Squirrel Productions. And until then, remember, they're all imaginary stories. My Comic Shop Book Club is a Flat Squirrel production. Art by Kristen San Gregorio, music by Basic Printer. If you like what you heard, be sure to check out my other podcasts, Digging for Kryptonite and My Comic Shop History. Sign up for exclusive content, including the official Book Club companion podcast at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato and watch my documentary film, My Comic Shop Country, out now on Apple TV and Amazon.